fired up. Welcome to Blue Collar Love, the Starfire 59 Jason Martin Extravaganza podcast. My name is Samuel. And I'm Aaron. And, and today, I'm Brandon. <laughs> and just by that, guys, today we have a special episode with the incomparable, the legend, the one and only creator of Tooth & Nail Records, signer of Tooth, Starfire 59, Joy Electric, and every other great band in the 90s, Brandon Ebel. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, um, Brandon, um, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so we'll just go ahead and jump in um, with the questions. The first one I kind of, you know, said a little bit of, but for those who don't know who you are, Brandon, what are you famous for? Uh, yeah, I guess the question you wrote down here is how would our listeners know you? And I guess it would be because I signed Starflyer 59 back in 1993. And um, I also started Tooth & Nail Records, which is the label that they have been on for most of their career. They as in Jason Martin and all his many band members. Rock on. And that yeah. naturally... Rock on, my, one of my favorite terms. <laughs> <laughs> so that naturally actually leads to our next question um and one that i haven't heard too much of in the podcasting world so i'm really excited how did you discover starfire 59 jason martin how did you find them so, how did you decide yeah. to sign them all so basically in around 1990 1989 90 91 92 i had a radio show at oregon state university at kbvr and I played a bunch of bands, you know, just normal, like punk rock bands mixed in with a few like kind of underground Christian groups. And um, one group that I played was Dance House Children, which was comprised of Ronnie Martin and Jason Martin. <clears throat> and um, from there, I went and got a job at this little label called Frontline Music. Well, first I had an internship at Virgin Records in Beverly Hills in L.A., and then after that, I got a paying job at this little label called Frontline Music down in Orange County. And so when I moved down there, I moved from Oregon. I went to Oregon, like Oregon State University, like I said. I moved down there and um, got to know Ronnie Martin a little bit because he was on Blonde Vinyl Music and he had a new group called Rainbow Rider. And so while I worked at this label, Frontline Music, we did this music festival called 100% Full Industrial Strength. And it was like a... It was the biggest disaster ever. It was a bunch of like Christian metal bands mixed with like general market ravers. And it was out in the middle of like Riverside, California. It was like a hundred degrees out. It was the craziest thing. And I, it wasn't that my sounds idea. amazing. I, yeah. Well, it, was, was it worse than Firefest? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was, Firefest is an amazing documentary, by the way. Yeah, this was not on that scale, but it was completely a disaster. I just worked at the label that threw it. So I just kind of helped, you know, I was paid to help, you know, work there. Uh, but while I was there, Rainbow Rider, Ronnie Martin from Joy Electric, Dance House Children, you know, he, I got to know him and he was playing the festival. And then he said, hey, my brother has got the coolest rock band around. And he gave me his cassette tape. And then he introduced me to, to Jason at the, at the fest. So we went into Jason's car and we listened to we listened to uh, a couple demos and I said, hey, I'm starting a new record label. Don't tell anyone. I'm going to quit my job here. 
and maybe I could sign you to my new record label. And uh, there you go. And he was the third, Starfly was the third release I ever put out. And I've put out over 800 albums. So nice. That is so, amazing, and I love it. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> I mean, I got a million other questions just on that, but I'm just going to move forward. Did you have any input on Starfire 59 releases, or did you just give Jason a budget? Hold on, I, I'm starting to go down. I'm starting to go down memory lane now, but I believe the demo on the cassette that he played me was "Blue Collar Love." Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think it was on there, or maybe it was Monterey, one of those. But, and then those were some of the tracks that were on the Silver album, this first record. Nice. So. All right. So, did you have any input, or did you just tell Jason, "Here's what you got, money wise, and just do whatever"? Oh yeah. So we didn't have a lot of money. In fact, I think we probably spent five or six thousand bucks on the first album, which you know in the early '90s went way farther than it would today, but. Back then, you actually, it was expensive to record. You didn't just record on GarageBand on your laptop or on Pro Tools. You know, you had to get a tape machine and have an actual console. So we recorded the two-inch tape, which is what everybody did. You could also record a half-inch tape back then, but we recorded the two-inch tape. But to get a lower bass sound, a heavier sound, and also to save money, we recorded at 15 eps instead of 30 eps, so half speed, which saved us 50%, you know, on, on our tape costs. <laughs> so um and we recorded that album and no to me tooth and nail has always has been basically let the artists do what they want unless the artist comes to me and says hey we want to go to the next level what's your opinion and then i'm like well i'd be apt to spend more money on you if you do this but if a band says we don't want your opinion do whatever then they record however they want kind of thing so that being said starflyer jason definitely knew what his sound was and then back in those days 93 94 he was very influenced by like my bloody valentine or ride sword driver kind of that whole shoegazing alternative rock scene <clears throat> and i think that's what you got with those first two albums you know gold and silver well silver and gold in that order and those were and heavy songs on there like blue collar love and the dungeon and she's the queen and um things like that lay van curry p Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you are fine. And you're right. Those heavy songs are very influenced by early 90s shoegaze, and I love it every time. Now, yeah. I was curious, did that philosophy stay through his entire stint? I mean, he was on Tooth & Nail Records until fairly recently. Would you say, was there ever a time he came to you and said, I want to go big, I want to be bigger? Was he always just, I want to do my own thing? Um. Yeah, you know, Starflyers interesting for sure i had suggested maybe he stay heavier over the years but he definitely knows what he wants to do and that whole heavy thing you know was years and years and years ago like <laughs> you know like between albums like four and five or three and four kind of between americana and gold i was like i think you should stay heavier like gold you know and he was like no i i kind of want to branch out and do something different and you know now he's completely evolved and He's one of the very few artists where I've had zero influence really on his music. I mean, I think he's a genius, and why would I want to mess with with that, you know? So, so now, yeah, I mean, so Starflyer, yeah. So it's basically he is his own thing, you know. And uh, you know, he started off his first two albums sold over twenty thousand copies, which back in those days, you know, he didn't have streaming or digital or anything else, um, and. 
he was touring back then too. You know, he went and opened for Sixpence None the Richer and did a lot of touring. Yeah, it's different yeah, we than know about that. that. You know, he hasn't played a li- he hasn't played a live show in how many years? You guys might know more than me. Eight, nine, five thousand years. I think. Oh, okay. So that means sixteen years. It's been since he's played a show. If you're not counting the Low Tom tour he did, the worst show he did. So right, right, where he where he was the main, yeah, where he was Starfire, yeah. Now, with the band being on Tooth and Nail Records for so long, um, how did you justify keeping them on there when they were never your highest selling artists? I've listened to like the um, um, the other Tooth and Nail podcast, and you talk about how OC Supertones and MXPX were your big money makers. So, how did you justify keeping this little indie artist on here that didn't ever make a huge amount of money? I mean, well, for one. To me, Starflyer 59 is one of my crowning achievements as far as like owning a record label and having an artist on my label. And the music, I think, transcends. I think it'll be timeless for years and years and years to come. Um, so that's number one is the music. Two is like, you know, he's my friend. He's one of my good friends. So that's another reason why I wanted to put out all the records as well. But number one was by far and away the music. Um, I think that good music doesn't always mean it's huge right like there's all kinds of artists that might get big 20 years later and they've been a car commercial no one knows why you know and they get bigger later and some artists are in the pocket for then and now so um starfire is is a weird situation where it is a little odd that he's never gotten bigger but he also the last 15 years hasn't really toured or done anything to maybe put himself out there right so true i think it goes hand in hand you know i mean it's very difficult with all the bands that are out there to um be big and not play shows at all right or be visible in that way yeah he also doesn't even like to shoot music videos either so yeah i I mean do you remember the music video i did where i hired like kids i went i went video yep we talked about that yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, dude, why don't we just do, like, put a bunch of hipsters in there? And, like, he was like, oh, oh I guess. So, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's his own, you know, he's awesome. But, I mean, he's so talented. And, I mean, he has so many good records. It's, it's, it's incredible, really, to wrap your head around all the great records that he's put out. And, um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It, it'd be hard for me to say which one's my favorite, but that's not really a question, or is it going to be a question? <laughs> um, no, we know Starfire is the best. We don't have to ask. So yeah, that's what your whole podcast is about, right? Exactly, exactly. In the Starfire Fifty Nine community, there's a lot of anger, haranguing, just outright rage as to why some Starfire 59 releases um, like Leave Here a Stranger, Americana, Everybody Makes Mistakes, Fashion Focus haven't been reissued on vinyl. Um, what are the factors well, that prevent this from happening? Well, you know, so I sold half my company in 2001 to EMI Universal, and then in 2013 they bought me out, but I continued to keep the name in 2013. Uh, some of your listeners may or may not know that. I don't know if they care, but that being said, they own all the catalog now, and so we have to license these vinyls back from them. And it can be very difficult because Starflyer is a smaller group. Vinyl has exploded with streaming becoming so big, the only physical medium people really want is vinyl. And um, 
it's just very difficult. It takes a long time to get the rights to do all that. And we have a line on it. We are doing it. We're working on it. And I think Jason has also done is trying as well. So like it'll all happen over time and we're definitely working on it. And once you get the rights to do it, then you have to do a contract and then you have to actually get someone to manufacture the vinyl. And that's a big long waiting line right now as well. So, and these major labels, when they come in and they put out like an Adele vinyl or, you know, Taylor Swift or something, they'll just take over the printing, you know, the presses. And there's only so many places in the world that will even do it. So, um, but it'll all happen. Oh, yes. That is. It will. So I didn't realize so you heard it here. was so limited there. <laughs> And so you heard it here first. It will happen, well, guys. So, just relax. So in the late nineties, in the late nineties, you know, vinyl just basically went the way the you know went the way the buffalo, if you will. Nice MSPX <laughs> reference. Yeah, gotcha. there you go. <laughs> yeah. And so it, when it went the way my the favorite buffalo, album by, know, them, by the way. That... Dude, no way. Life in general it, and teenage no, politics destroyed. No, no, no. Okay. Not even close. Yeah, anyway. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, so long story short, yeah, you know, there's not as much manufacturing as it used to be, and then everything blew up, and so everybody's going back and trying to put out vinyl again. And, you know, I have a little side label called Fugitive Records where I've reissued the Sundays and the Cardigans and a few other cool kind of medium-sized general market bands on my label um, because of my relationships with the majors back from over the years. <clears throat> but, yeah, so... We are working on that. Yep, we are. So good to know. Exciting. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna kind of hop back a question, and I apologize. We actually skipped it a minute ago. Um, so kind of going back through the history of you and Starfire, um, were there was there ever a time? Because I've heard you talk about on the other podcasts, um, bands like Starfire gave you a lot of um, kind of indie cred in the music scene were there any ever any artists that were like you know what we're going to sign with you just because you have such a cool band like starfire 59 i mean i can't honestly remember exactly one band specifically saying that but definitely in the 90s having bands like starfire 59 or joe christmas or roadside monument or danielson family or velour definitely helped our credibility when we were trying to sign other groups that maybe went on to be larger, for sure. And they were referenced many times. I mean, I remember even Under Oath, Timmy from Under Oath, was like, Starfire 59 is amazing, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I don't know if they ever said, hey, we were gonna sign with you because you have Starfire, but having good music on your, you know, good artists that, are mu that have musical integrity that on your label always helps your brand, of course, definitely. So, but it's not like I signed Starflyer so I could try to sign other bands. I signed Starflyer because I felt like they could be a huge band. And they started off, you know, pretty big. They went on tour with Six Months on the Richard, sold 20-something thousand. And then, you know, he didn't tour as much. You know, he hasn't really toured a lot his whole career except for the first four years. So He has, he has like, at least... 85 songs where he talks about not wanting to tour, so we got it. <laughs> I'm so I glad mean, you mentioned shit. I, I'll say this right now. Furnace Fest, I know that the Grapevine Furnace Fest kind of thought they were going to maybe get him to play this year. And, you know, I don't know. You'll have to ask him next time you get him on this podcast. But oh, seems like maybe... Time. 
next time. We're looking for the first time. But I'm glad you mentioned. Oh, really? He's never been on here. No, sorry, he has I, not. I've, I've never listened to the whole. I've never listened. Sorry, I haven't listened to all your podcasts. It's fine. But, oh, well, we so he's never you. been on here even once. So he's harder to get than I even right. I am. It took you guys like half right. a year to get me on here, right? So now I don't feel yeah. bad. <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie has come on. Even he hasn't. <laughs> well, if it wasn't for Ron, if it wasn't for Ronnie, I would have never signed Starflyer. That is a fact, which I already told you. That is a fact. Ronnie that was like, is, my is. brother's got the hottest rock man. Ronnie's kind of the hype, you know, extrovert, and Jason's the introvert. Well, Ronnie's yeah. kind of an introvert in his own weird way too. But anyway. I'm glad you mentioned Joe Christmas though, because I believe um, next to Starflyer and Havelina, those are the three most underrated bands I think in history. So I'm glad you mentioned Joe Christmas. And if, yeah, we, get, really if we can get if we can get the upstairs overlooking on vinyl up next, I appreciate it. So anyway, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So how does it feel to know that you've helped create a genre of music that's allowed hundreds of artists to make a, a living creating their art? Well, I mean, it feels great. It feels awesome. I love it. It's a dream come true. Um, you know, I just am super pumped that God has used me to do that. And, um, you know, I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up, you know, my parents weren't as strict as some kids. I could listen to normal music. I was into like New Order, you know, and Pet Shop Boys. And I was also into like the Ramones and punk rock bands and stuff like that. But I also listened to some of the underground Christian stuff in the late 80s, early 90s as well. And some of the metal bands too, because you had Slim Pickings. But um, I realized that some of my friends' parents didn't let them listen to those groups that, you know, or whatever. And some of the more conservative families and stuff. So... When I had this radio show at Oregon State University, I was playing Green Day, Kerplunk, Nirvana, Bleach before they were on major labels. And then I'd mix in like Poor Lou, The Clergy, some of these Blenderhead, some of these groups that were like, you know, running around in Seattle and Portland that had a Christian backdrop that were playing churches that were a Christian punk. I played the Ultra Boys and mixed that in with like, you know, all the big stuff like Green Day and Nirvana and, and uh, Mud Honey or whatever on my radio show. And I thought, well, you know, like, then I went and worked at a, a record label and I started going to hardcore shows in Orange County, straight edge shows that were bands like on Victory Records and things like that. And that's when I first saw like focused, unashamed, these hardcore bands that I started tooth and nail with, mixed in with like Starflyer. And I thought, hey, these bands are kind of straight edge with a Christian backdrop, but they seem more mainstream than some of the bands, other bands that I was playing. I go, I, I should start putting these bands out. And, you know, I never intended for Tooth & Nail to be a Christian record-only label kind of a thing. I thought I was just starting a record label, and I thought these would be a great band to start with because they have a Christian message, but they're also heavy, and kids that aren't Christian still like them because they're, they're actually in a legitimate music scene. They're not just a church band or something, you know? But then the Tooth & Nail got so big so quick, even when we signed bands that weren't Christian, like Juliana Theory or Stretch Armstrong, for example, or He Is Legend, we still kind of people just thought they were Christian anyway, you know, but that being said, all the bands that were Christian, which were most of them. And then of course, once I started signing those bands, other bands that were Christian wanted to be on our label. So that made it kind of easier. And then I would put them in Christian bookstores. And so for parents that were real conservative, that didn't let their kids listen to quote unquote secular music or general market music, they would go in and buy a Starflyer album, which was, you know, spiritually kind of vague lyrically, but 
they knew that Jason believed what they believed and they had the kind of the stamp of the approval from the Christian bookstore. And it was kind of almost a weird way of like kind of sneaking cool music into like a world where kids weren't allowed. You know, I don't know. I, I kind of fell into all that though. That wasn't my original intention. It kind of almost mm-hmm. felt up in a weird way. And then like about four years into it, people were writing me letters like, my parents wouldn't let me listen to this music and now you've changed my life. And I didn't even know I was doing that, right? I mean, I really didn't. Like, I just thought, hey, I'm a Christian. Not everybody that even worked a tooth and nail was Christian, but I was like, hey, I want to support these bands and because it seems like a lot of these labels are against them because they're Christian. In a weird way, it was almost the ultimate punk rock. So, and then it just kind of evolved into this huge thing where the fans, like, I mean, still today, I'm 51 years old. I started this when I was 23. I'll sit next to somebody on the plane and, you know, they'll just be emotional. They'll be like, dude, it's the soundtrack to my whole life. And I, you know, my parents wouldn't let me listen to this kind of music. And then I started buying all these albums and, you know, I don't know. It's pretty cool, but I, I am definitely one of those kids that is like, I couldn't listen to anything that wasn't on, you know, Kayla <laughs> yeah. type radio. So I appreciate that. It helped yeah. And it's like, I mean, it kind of evolved that way, but it wasn't like my ultimate mission, but I also feel like our music stands on its own. Like, I mean, oh, all things stand on their own. And that was my number one thing. It wasn't like, hey, we're like, this is the C-level version of an A-level product. This is like, we wanted it to be its own thing. And, you know, I mean, obviously, MXPX was right in the pocket of punk rock, but they could stand on their own, right? They went on work tour. They had their own fans. They could they could go on tour with Blink-182. They went on tour with Real Big Fish. They went on tour with No Doubt. No problem. Like, they totally were really legit. They could totally hold their own. I think all of our bands that we've signed, Further Scenes Forever, Juliana Theory, you know, the list goes on. Under Oath, Amberlynn, Emery, whatever. Like, all our bands that we've signed are legit bands that, you know, might have been helped from that backdrop, but also had their place. You know, and then in the 2000s, we evolved into just, there was, the Christian bookstore started going away, and even to this day right now, I feel like, you know, we have almost zero Christian influence. There is, um, but I think, you know, Tooth & Nail just continues on as a quality record label that puts out quality artists and quality music. And that whole, youth group, that whole youth group thing is gone. Uh, any kid, any time can get any music they want on their phone or whatever. But I think we've transcended all that. And now we're just a label that is a cool record label that continues to do it, you know? Yeah, I just want to say, too, as well, it's not really a question, but just to say, um, when, you know, I'm like 42 now, and growing up, like, in church, my parents kind of let me listen to whatever, but when I became a Christian, I was like 16, and so I was going, I was like, I'm going to listen to nothing but country, Christian music. I, I had, my church had, like, this crazy Christian magazine um, for kids, and then it, it had, like, albums of the month and had mortals wake album and so i went and bought that that album's like what this is christian music what and in the credits it had listed you know thanks to the prayer chain star 559 blah blah so i went out I, like, I didn't know who these people were i went to a christian bookstore in my neighborhood and i got americana and i got anarcha about a prayer chain and changed my life and so yeah to the now so like, mortal never, so mortal was yeah. on the label that i worked for for Frontline yeah, music. frontline exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so and so to me, like those bands were never. It wasn't about Christian music, like you say. It was just about good music. But I know that if my mom could see that I got this from a Christian bookstore, she wouldn't question why it sounds like demon music, and she would just leave me alone because you know I got it from a Christian bookstore. So I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, Mortal. Yeah, Mortal is one of my all-time favorite groups, and of course they had Jeff Ballou, who had been in the Crucified 
who went on and did Chatterbox with me and then Stavesacre. And Jerome and then, is now and in And then, of course, foot. Jerome has been in Switchfoot for 15, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then the guy that kind of did all their production and programming, Mark Rodriguez, produced the first Wish for Eden album for me. And Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he also worked on the Silver Starfighter Silver album with Jerome from Mortal. Yeah. They were called Blood Productions. Okay. I'm sorry, Gyro, not Jerome. Gyro. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Gyro and Jerome, and Jerome and Mark did it. All the Mortal guys produced the first Starflyer album. Did you know that? We did. They were know called that. Blood. For, I knew yeah, two of them. Blood Productions. I didn't know Mark Regas was part of it, but I did know Jerome Mark and Gyro. Yeah, he was an yeah. engineer. He's the guy who okay. produced with Shreed and his focus. So. Anyway. Which, which kind of leads us into like, so you talk about the influence of Tuzanel in the 90s and the early aughts, but now there's been like a, the in, it's called the hipster culture music, but it, it is, you know, Foster People, Mountford and Sons, Sufjan Stevens, all of that. Um, um, a lot of bands that were related to um, Tooth and Nail, Danielson, and then Woven Hand, who ended up being on Danielson's label. They kind of um, influenced um, a lot of bands now, Lumineers and all you know, all those bands I just mentioned, Decemberists. They have similar sounds. Do you see any connection between bands and Tooth and Nail and like that folk and rock music that took over in the early aughts and 2010s? Um, yeah, I mean, I think music's a big tree, right? When you put out a yeah. hundred albums and over 200 something yeah. artists, I think yeah. that there's just going to be a tree that comes out of a lot of that. So, you know, Sufjan mm -hmm. Stevens was in Danielson family, right? Mumford and Sons grew yeah. up like in the Vineyard Church. Yeah. Um, you know, Father John Misty was the drummer of Fleet Foxes and the other guys in Fleet Foxes were in Christian bands and then... You know, Father John Missy worked at Tooth and Nail in my mail order department. Did you know that? That's kind of weird. I did not know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> so did so did so did so did, so did, so did Damien Gerardo, and then so did John and so did John Ford from Unwed Sailor slash Rosebud. Okay. They yeah. all worked in my mail order department. But nothing's crazier than. Father John Misty, who sells out the Hollywood Bowl three nights in a row. It's like, oh, hey, dude, yeah. can you uh, mail out these CDs? Thanks, bro. Maybe give me a couple of copies. What, what years? Yeah. What years? Because he probably smelt me some stuff. <laughs> uh, probably like 2000, 2001. Absolutely. When he, he did that. When, when he first left Fleet Boxes, I ran into him at South by Southwest. And, uh, I was like, what's up, bro? Like, and he had just started his Twitter. He had like two or 3,000 followers. And um, he was like, Brandon Ebel. He's very, you know, he's real funny. And he like can mimic anyone. He's kind of making fun of my voice. Like, yeah. And uh, I was kind of giving him, I was kind of giving him a hard time. I was like, what's up, bro? Like, remember when you were in Demon Hunter? Cause so he drummed the second Demon Hunter album. And uh, he wore a mask in the photo shoot. So if you go to the second Demon Hunter album, He's in the photo shoot with a bandana over his face because he was just starting his solo career. This is before he was in Fleet Foxes, and he didn't want to have anybody think he was like in a Christian metal band. And uh, if you go back and look at those photos, that's him. Pretty good stuff. So, anyway, that's beautiful. And I love all those connections. Like you said, it's a tree. There's just all those connections. Um, oh, yeah, there's so many, right? You go down, but you know, I don't want to claim that to the new artist made some kind of folk indie sound or you know, whatever, but I definitely think that there's. I mean, 
you know, like M- music's organic. I'm mean, not saying that they say it out, but obviously music's organic. People hear stuff and it changes them, and they yeah, I mean, like add the, their the thing Shin, to it. The Shin band is a bunch of was a bunch of ex Christian artists, or like Dickie, who sadly passed away. He just died, but yeah, Dickie, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, Richard Swift, who produced yeah. the last three Damien albums before this current one, he was also in the Shins, and he was kind of helped co-produce the old album with Aaron Sprinkle, and he's in the old. He was the musician on old and in the photo shoot and everything. He, um, which is Starflyer Old, is one of my all-time favorite Starflyer albums. But you know, he ended up being also in. Um, oh, so like, um, the Black uh, Keys. Uh, I think Black Keys, Black Keys, yeah, Black Keys, yeah, yeah Black Keys, yeah, right. he's in Black mm-hmm. Keys. Yeah, I, you can go down the list. I mean, there's so many, so many artists that have been influenced by artists that were on To the Nail or came out of To the Nail. I mean, you can go on and on and on. You can do multiple podcasts Saint, about that. In fact, I think for my podcast, I should do that. That'd be kind of interesting. You should, because St. Vincent <laughs> yeah. was a guitarist for Sufjan's touring band. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit here um, and ask you about some of your personal favorites. Now, um, I know trying to pin down your, your favorite album or songs is murder. That's just it's like trying to say your favorite child. But what about favorite tooth and nail cover art? Do you have one of those? Uh, maybe training for Utopia, Plastic Soul Impalement, or um, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, too, that's just a tough one, right? Like, um, all the Demon Hunter art's incredible because he's a graphic designer. Have you seen that whole Invisible Creature art book? I have, no, I have not. I have not. Oh my gosh, it's just flat out incredible. But some of the Norma Jean packaging is just jaw dropping. Incredible. All the Demon Hunter stuff's amazing. I really love Starflyer Silver album because it had a 24 page color booklet with like 20, 10 different, with a different logo for each song. That was incredible. Um, yeah, the Training for Utopia packaging's unbelievable. Um, Under Oath to Find the Great Line was good, though it came out a little dark, but that was pretty amazing. Deb Poetic, that's an amazing package. Um, the Chariot packaging, some of the Chariot albums. The second Chariot album was probably just was like world class. Some of those were actually nominated for Grammys. I don't remember all which ones, but um, you know, packaging until recently when everything's gone digital. But I still think we have great artwork. But you know, back in the day, we would just go all out on packaging. You know, huge booklets and you know, really make it a collector. You know, to buy a CD from Juvenile. We wanted it to be really quality, so. Yeah, and I, I personally miss that. I love those big booklets and stuff. That's the way to go. It's just tough now, right? Because you'll sell almost no CD. In fact, some artists are like, oh, you don't even need to make a CD. And we're like, oh, we'll just make up a few. I just can't get over it. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like I just have to it, do it. It know? drives me crazy. I can't do a digital. I I need something physical. It's just, and you're Well, right, usually people would just buy the vinyl for that, but. Yeah, that's what I, mean, I do. That's the main reason. To me, buying vinyl is like a no-brainer. I mean, there's very few vinyl if you bought from Tooth & Nail over the last 20 years. You can go on eBay and get your money back or make money, make profit. I mean, there's a Hudson's vinyl. Some of those will go for like 
I mean, it's crazy. Like some of the the vinyls, like what? You have, know. You looked at, have you looked at Starfire vinyls? That's why people want reissues. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's it's like a mortgage payment <laughs> or a payment for what? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll we'll get them out for sure. So. Okay, um, that does lead me to. I think we was talking to Aaron Sprinkle. I think it was him, and he said. You know, when I was working at Houston Nail headquarters back in the day, they had all this vinyl. We just threw it out in the dumpster. Oh, no yeah. It, oh, yeah. That's Is not true. That's not really true. But I think if it was, it was like, I mean, I don't want to name names, but we might have had a few extra, like, 90 pound woods and Brewer 100 vinyls back in the day. Like, we might have tossed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure that's, you know, I don't know if that's 100% true, but. For a while there, we had an overstock of some of the smaller groups. <coughs> maybe, some Pep, maybe some Pep Squad vinyls. <laughs> I don't remember. I, mean, you know, I don't know if Aaron's embellishing that story or, you know, Aaron worked in the basement. We had a recording studio in the basement of our first building. It might not, and, it might not have been Aaron, but I've heard that story a lot. <laughs> that's probably true. Well, I mean, when we moved offices, when we, moved offices we probably had to, you know, yeah, what's so funny is like all those vinyls now. I mean, but here's the thing. Again, we put out 800 albums. So maybe there was four or five vinyls in 1999 when vinyl was dead and we just refused to give up on it. We'd put up 2,000 vinyls of each one and like they sold 300 of them and we just had to get rid of it. But I mean, that, that would be so few and far between. Like one in, you know, three or four vinyls and 800. <coughs> Okay. But if it is well, true, I can see that maybe happening when we moved because we have okay. so much stuff, you know. So. And you, so, um, when you're talking about your favorite album art and everything, um, you mentioned Silver for Starfire. Is that your favorite album art um, of Starfire albums? I, I love the photography and old. I love the fashion focus cover. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I love I that. I think that one's so good. <laughs> yeah. Would uh, you? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I am the CEO, which is one of his two albums that didn't come out on my label. I actually really like that package too. Let's give him a little plug have, on that. Do you have a favorite Tooth and Nail album? I know we're putting no. on the spot here. Okay. Fine, fair no, there's no Sorry. way I can say that. I mean, I have like <laughs> top 30, top 40, right? MXPX Live in general. Starflyer Silver, Juliana Theory, Motion is Dead. Yes. Amberlynn Cities. You know, Emery the Question. Under Oath, You're Only Chasing Safety. I don't know, man. I mean, you can go on and on. First Further Scenes Forever album. That's <coughs> um, that's fair. Yeah. Demon Hunter, The Summer of Darkness. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Living Sacrifice Reborn. Oh, that's an amazing one. Zayo's, uh, Zayo's. Zayo, Zayo, when you say blood Zayo. Fire, say, yeah, yeah, blood and fire bring rest. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. I don't know, man. There's a lot of them. So. Um, now, you mentioned I Am a CEO, one of only two um, Starfire releases thus far in history to not be released on Tooth and Nail. Um, what are your feelings... <laughs> Miami EP too. You're forgetting well, that. Well, yeah, I was going full length albums. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. So, uh, what are your feelings on the latest release, um, Vanity, being released on Velvet Blue Music, um, as opposed to Tooth and Nail? 
Uh, I'm totally fine with it. I mean, so you know that Jason and I are really good friends. We we used to go to Vegas once a year, but we haven't in the last five years. But we bet every Sunday and Monday night football for the last 21 years. We've never missed. <laughs> in fact, the album Portuguese Blues, the very first track on that's about betting me. <laughs> the, the lyrics are like, yeah, the lyrics are like, I wake up early like a birdie, like I got your name, I got your number. So, so one day we were in Vegas and he, he loves to play cards and gamble. So we were like in Vegas and he goes, I don't really care about sports, but if you would bet me games, I would learn about football because then I would be gambling. And I was like, okay. So I explained to him about NFL football. Now he's a total addict. And so we started betting every team? Monday who's night football. On the who's, who's his team? I think he personally probably likes the Raiders, but he's not uh-huh. really a team guy. He's a betting guy. He just likes okay. to watch football. And All right, got you. Okay. So we started betting like, you know, 20 bucks every Monday night game. Now we bet 50 bucks every Sunday night, every Monday night. And we each each person gets to bet um, based on the day, right? So it's like I get every Sunday night, he gets every Monday night. And then we bet every playoff game or whatever. So we're good friends. I think, you know, I mean, Velvet Blue is awesome. Jeff Cloud was in his band for years. And Jeff Cloud put out the Unplugged album before, which is like kind of a live album. He's also put out some Seven Inches and things like that. So he just said, hey, man, I just want to try doing something with Jeff this time. And I'm like, that's cool. And then he also went indie and did I am the CEO. And I think he thought that was too much work. So he came back and did one with me. And then now he's doing one with Jeff. But that is, don't don't count us out, bro. You don't know. Maybe we'll do the next one. We'll see. You never know. Brandon. But it doesn't hurt my feelings in any way. <laughs> I'm a huge football fan. And this is OK. So Monday night, Washington played Seattle. I know probably your team because you're from there. Washington's my team. Season ticket holder. Who, who, oh, who, who, yeah. who, who, who bet who? Oh, so he took Seattle even odds. It was his bet. Okay. What'd you take? So that's the case where if I well, I had to take I had to take the team, the Washington team, because yeah. um I had no choice because he got to pick Monday night. You see what I'm saying? And then I picked Sunday yeah. night. He's ahead of me by two games this year, um, but I was ahead of him by five games, and I've been on a huge losing streak. But I took the Ravens on Sunday night, and I got I gave him three points against Cleveland, and they and they covered that, so I won. Then the odds were even against the team. Yeah, but you know, if it was my pick on money, I would have take I would have homered that and taken Seattle. I I mean, now that I really saw that game, I realize now Seattle is truly horrible. Like. <laughs> I mean, uh, and it's hard to, you know, after years of winning, it's like hard to, yeah, uh, hard to realize that this is like where it's all come to, you know. So, well, I hopefully, hopefully on Monday, Jason liked to lose. Maybe it felt like a win for him. <laughs> um, I don't know if he, I don't know if he all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, what makes you hate music, Brandon? What, what's your, what, gets your craw about the music industry or bands or anything music related? I just like music. I don't really, there's no room for negativity, bro. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, of course, being, I got into doing this for music. So, um, and I still continue to do it, even though like financially, I don't really need to do this anymore. Um, you know, I've sold 26 million albums or something crazy. So, I have a lot of other businesses and um, 
that do that make more money than to, you know tooth and nail is more of a labor of love now but um i just like doing it like i know how to do it i know I, we know how to make cool albums packaging marketing uh, i have a cool little team you know we used to have 30 people in the heyday and now we have a team of 10 people and uh i just really enjoy it you know i really really like continuing to do it and you know we've had a lot of successes lately um you know, like Fit for a King is a huge band for us right now. Double Wears Prada, we kind of help really resurrect their career right now. Nice. And we have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of really cool albums coming out next year. I'm excited about um, Valley Heart, uh, Tiger Wine, and new Mike Means and the Branches album, which is incredible. Tyson Motzenbacher, who's been on tour with Switchfoot. And, um, we're putting him out. And then on the heavier side, we have a new Norma Jean record and Wolves at the Gate and Lightworker. Fit for a King, which is our biggest band there, and Double Wars Prado. We're putting out all those records next year. So it's like, I don't know, I'm 51 years old. I've been doing this for 27 years. And I just keep doing it. You know, I just, um, I just really love it. So, um, so when I say hate music, I mean, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you just running the business and mixing like work with music, you know, you get to know, you know, there's some drama always with something somewhere. <laughs> With a band, yeah. So you, that I guess sometimes makes me wonder, like, why am I doing this? But then, in the end of the day, usually the awesomeness of it all takes over, and I just love doing now, it. So. And at the beginning, you mentioned how you you, you saw that Starfire was an amazing band. I mean, everybody listening to this will agree. Why do you think? Um, two-part question. Why do you think they never broke big? And did Jason ever come to you and say, hey, I want more promotion? Or was he more just like, I just want to I mean, you know, the kind of famous story is that the old album, we spent six-figure, well, like a low six-figure, but we spent a lot of money on old. Um, you know, Frank Lenz was in the band, who's been like in the Weepies and Damien Gerardo, and of course, Dickie who was in the shins was in the group and you know, they had done some huge touring or whatever. And we put a ton of money into that. I mean, and I lost a lot of money on old. And then I remember Jason felt bad a little bit. He goes, Hey, I'm just going to give you Portuguese blue album. Just give me five grand. I'm going to record Portuguese blue in my garage. And so he, I said, all right, he goes, just give me a bonus album, not on the contract. Cause you know, he knew I dropped like well over hundred G's on that thing on old. And I swear to you, we sold about 10,000 copies of old. And I gave him five grand for Portuguese blues. He gave it to me. I put it out and spent like two grand marketing. It sold the same as old. What? what? I, I mean, I've never mathematically had <laughs> I've just never had it. I told this story before in some other interview, but I, I don't even get it. And this is when I had the full push of EMI. And, and it's like sometimes you just wonder. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think it's like timing, right? So the heavy stuff was working for him. He was on his way up. Then he did Americano and then Fashion Focus. And I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to remember there's one in between there. I think there was. No, that's right. No, that's right. You're right. And Fashion Focus mm -hmm. is incredible, right? It is. But yes. for some reason, that made him go downhill a little bit. But he was still pretty big. And then, you know, after those first five or six, seven albums, he kind of quit touring, right? And you got to just grind. I mean, I went out to lunch with Damien Gerardo about two years ago. He lives in my neighborhood. Now I moved to LA, you know, and he's never been on tooth and nail, but like, I know him mm. and, you know, I went and saw him sold out show 1500, 2000 people. 
And uh, he goes, you know, Brandon, I've been doing this for 20 something years and I've been touring for 20 years and I'm just now at the level where he's making really good money. But it took him like 18 years to get there. Some people happens for him over the night, right? You could just sign a major label, be foster the people and go platinum and just be huge, right? Some people like Damien yeah. Gerardo, there's a long tail to that. And now he's big, like he can make a full-time living, make good money, a lot of money, you know, playing shows, 500 to 2,000 people every show. And I think Starfire probably could be there where Damien is if he had toured full-time. But he wanted to have kids, family. He took over his dad's trucking business. He's an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. it just didn't happen to him like it happened for like, you know, some of these bands like Under Oath where they just got massive really quick, you know? So I, I, I don't know what to say. But I mean, it's definitely not from us trying. Um, you know, but if he said, hey, uh, I'm going to go open for Death Cab for Tootie right now. I want to sign with you guys. Will you pump, you know, X amount of dollars into our band and do shoot three music videos and do, you know, spend $30,000 on internet marketing and do this, this, and this? I'm going to be on tour for six weeks with Death Cab, and then we're going to roll over and go on tour with this band and that band. And then we're going to be on the new Swerve Driver reunion tour. I'd be like, F yeah, I'll do that any, any day of the week. Yeah, but you know, with Jason, he's not, not going to do that. He's not. He's not, not going to do, do that. that. Even if he yeah. had that opportunity, I just don't know if he would do that. And so, you know, what you have is a genius artist, and I don't know, if Jason. Hey, Jason, if you're listening, you know, I mean, mm. I'm just being totally honest. Like, he's incredible. So, I think that he's chosen a different career path. And I mean, for someone like Damien, I mean, that's a hard life, right? You go out and you yeah. travel and play 150 shows a year. And, Sure, you make a really good money, but those first 15 years or 12 years, it wasn't probably making great money. And, you know, it's just hard on your life, your family, you know, if you want to be a family person. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, there's so many examples of bands that I thought would be huge that aren't. aren't. And there's other bands that got really huge that I didn't really anticipate them getting that big. So <laughs> there's some bands, that. there's some bands that are disappointed they're not bigger. There's some bands that are just grateful, and I don't know. They're all different. So, Well, we are so appreciative of your time taking an hour out to hang out with us tonight. Yeah, so, man, it was awesome. Um, do you have any last-minute thoughts, questions, um, ideas, promotions, whatever you want to plug um, to anyone listening? Well, you know, like I said, I, I'm excited about Valley Heart, a new band that we signed, Tiger Wine, Mike Means of the Branches, Tyson Motzenbacher, New Norma Jean, Wolves of the Gate, Lightworker, um, of course, Fit for King's new one, Devil Wears Prada. But the one I kind of wanted to really drop on this podcast, because I thought your listeners might be interested, is we have signed Watashiwa back to the label. Watashi oh, Wah is coming back. What? Yeah, this is the, the first, the, the world, I'm, instead of doing this on my podcast, I'm letting the world know first here. We haven't announced it, so you can just know now on your podcast. But uh, we recorded Watashi Wah, and he went all out. Seth from the band went all out and has, um, you're going to just dig on this. So here, you want a list of all the artists that are, he got to be on it with him? Yes, yeah. go. Noise Ratchet, Reliant K, Dogwood, Frito Boat, Blenderhead, Havelina Rail Company, Gasoline Park. Oh, Havelina. 
<laughs> that is amazing. They're all on like guest appearance. And you know, when he says Avelina, it's probably just like it's just like Matt Wignall from Avelina. I don't think the whole band's on there, but anyway, he just handed in the record and uh I actually was like, Yeah, this thing maybe I'll just we were gonna we're gonna announce it here in the next few weeks, but I don't know. Hey, I don't guys. know if your fans your fans would really be into Watashiwa. I mean, that's a smaller, cool group that been on the label years ago. So um I'm sure a lot will be. When I say smaller, I don't want to say smaller. I mean they're they're pretty big, but you know what I mean. More like, yeah. you know, that's kind of a group. They weren't the MXPX. Else. They weren't MXPX. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. We'll know what talking. Yeah. So, not that everyone listening to this is a to the note faithful. I know you guys are all Starflyer faithful, but for those of you who are in the Starflyer and maybe to the nail, Watashi might be a band you know. So that's uh, exciting. Yeah, I'm so excited that you problem. also mentioned uh, Mike Mains and the Branches. I'm going next month. There's a uh, House of Heroes reunion concert, and there Mike Mains is opening for them. Awesome! Yeah, Mike and Mains this... is great. Um, we just I just hung out with him at Furnace Fest. Um, they played our labeled podcast showcase, which was really cool, and uh, they're awesome, and their new record's incredible. So, and Brandon, I was just Saturday. I saw May and Juliana Theory here in Norfolk. Amazing show! So again, thank awesome. you for just you so many, so many. My very first show was an <laughs> MXPX show, and I was like seventeen years old. So, that's awesome. <laughs> um, I was going to say May's packaging. May's packaging Everglow. Uh, amazing. Yes, I love that. That, album. that is a great package. You know, we've had a lot of good ones, but I didn't mention that one yet. But that one's. I will say the Joy Electric, the Joy Electric packaging across the board, always on point. <laughs> Never disappointed. I love the. Joy yeah, I love Robot Rock. Robot Rock's my favorite Joy Electric. I have album. that. Fr- I have that vinyl framed on my wall. It's such a great cover. <laughs> So good. <laughs> so good. All right, Brandon. All right, guys. Well, thanks well thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for all you've bought into this world. You don't know how much you've enriched my life. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for this podcast, and maybe someday Jason Martin will come on. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Hey, have a good one. Have a wonderful night. Bye. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been such a fun episode. We've been looking forward to doing this for a year now, and um, we're just ecstatic that it is done. So, I haven't been girls like this since the Lee Nash interview, so it's going to be a good come down tonight. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate it. <laughs> Once again, my name is Samuel. And I'm Aaron. Have a good night. This has been a Brothers Key Media production.